all of you here for this first Sunday of the year. Um, and boy, I'm excited about what God has in store for us this year, uh, but very excited especially about uh, the ministry of, of the Word this year and the direction uh, the Lord is leading us with that here. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be actually finishing, you believe it, we'll be actually finishing our series in the book of Genesis this year. Uh, that's somewhat sad, uh, but we'll get to start in a new book after that, and that'll be fun. And, uh, but boy, God has some wonderful truth packed for us uh, from the book of Genesis, and we've been in this series for a little over two years now, uh, just going verse by verse through Genesis, discovering the, uh, what we've called the roots of our redemption, the foundations of our faith, the first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, Genesis, and how wonderful these truths have been to us as we've studied them over these past couple of years. And the last time we were in our study in Genesis, we were in Genesis chapter 34, and there we read the sad commentary of Jacob. Jacob um, uh, found himself living away from where God wanted him to be once again. He decided to settle down in a place called Shechem. And uh, he lived to pay the consequences for going against the direction God had given to him because it was there in Shechem that Jacob's daughter, sadly, was raped. Um, and because of that, Two of his sons took vengeance on the city, the entire city of people, killing all of them uh, that had done this act to their sister. And meanwhile, Jacob was left with a ruined, tattered testimony back in the promised land that he had only just moved back to. Uh, you talk about a mess. We leave Genesis 34, and Jacob's life is a mess. And in fact, if you and I were in his shoes, we'd probably look at our life and think it's over. I'm never going to do anything good with my life now. Look at all of this mess. And I like what one person has to say from going from Genesis chapter 34 to Genesis chapter 35 is like going from a desert to a garden. And he even says it's like going from an emergency room to a wedding reception. <laughs> it's night and day different. And it's wonderful what we get to discover from Genesis chapter 35 today. Because in Genesis chapter 34, one of the reasons I think that it's such a horrible account in the life of Jacob is because God isn't mentioned once in the whole chapter. In Genesis chapter 35, God's name is mentioned ten times and uh, referenced to by pronouns more than that. And uh, we, it makes all the difference in the world when you have God involved in your story. And uh, we indeed see that. And so I want you to turn to Genesis 35, verse number 1, and notice how this new chapter and Jacob's life begins. In verse 1 of Genesis chapter 35, the Bible says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise and go up to where? Bethel. Bethel. And dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. Verse 2, Then Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. Going on to verse 6, the Bible tells us that Jacob came to Bethel, and all the people that were with him. And he, Verse 7, and he built there an altar, and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him. Verse 9, and God appeared unto Jacob again, while he was there in Bethel, when he came out from Padanaram, and he blessed him. From the outset... In Jacob's life, um, all, the, all the while when he was living back in Haran, when God had called him to leave Haran and to go back home, to go back to the promised land, the place God had asked Jacob to go, if you remember from back then, was Bethel. 
God wanted Jacob to go back to Bethel. And that makes sense because Bethel was the place where Jacob first came to faith in Jehovah God. And it was a significant place to God and to Jacob because of that very thing right there. And so it makes sense that God would want Jacob to go back to Bethel. And we find that Bethel was where Jacob's faith uh, journey began. And what we're going to discover today in Genesis 35 is that in returning back to Bethel is where Jacob's journey of faith was going to be restored. And uh, that is so important for you and I here today. And so we find that when Jacob finally went back where God wanted him to go, he'd spent years wandering around and living in places that God didn't tell him to go. And when Jacob finally went back where God wanted him to go, he experienced a revival that quite literally changed the course of the rest of his life. And uh, we're going to notice this as we study this passage of Scripture here today. And let me just say to you Christians here this morning, as we begin this year, your life to this point might not be much to be spoken of. In fact, your life up to this point might be a, 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 a whole big mess just like Jacob found himself in in Genesis chapter 34. And in your perspective, you might not see how, how it could get any better for you in your life with all the things that have happened in your life up to this point. But I say to you that God wants to bring such a revival to your heart as he did for Jacob that will change the course of the rest of your life from this day forward. God wants to bring you back to your Bethel. And we studied Jacob's first encounter in Bethel earlier in the book of Genesis. Bethel reminds us of the place where you first came to faith in the Lord Jesus. That's what happened for Jacob. And indeed, all of us, our Bethel experience is when you got saved. That's what Bethel is an illustration to us here in this New Testament time period. And God wants us to go back to that point. And remember what he did for us and how that is going to change the course of the rest of our life from this day forward. I like what Warren Wiersbe said. He said, the good news of the gospel is that you don't have to stay where you are. No matter how many times you failed, you can always go back home. I'm glad because of the cross, God always gives us a way back to him. Doesn't matter how far away you've been living or how long you've been away, there's always a way back home for those who have put their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so you may have wandered away from God uh, uh, in your lifetime today. But God wants to show you a way back to Bethel, a way to experience a true revival in your heart that will change the course of the rest of your life from this day forward. And so let me ask you this morning, has the way you've been going not been working out for you very well? Just think about it. If it hadn't been working out for you very well, why would you keep on trying to make it work when God has a better way? I want to encourage you to consider taking this road of revival as you begin this year today. And as we study the book of uh, this chapter in Genesis, we're going to discover four ways you can experience revival when you go back to Bethel. When you go back to Bethel. Four ways you can experience revival when you go back to Bethel. And before we get into this, why don't we pray? And I don't want you to just listen to me pray. I want you to pray in your heart. Ask God to speak to you. If he's already brought up something in your life that you feel like he's going to speak to you more about, maybe talk to him about it. But open your heart, not just your mind, to the truth of God's word today. And let God speak to you 
And let's pray and ask God to do that. Father, we come before you this morning and we thank you for the opportunity to be able to uh, stand once again in this new year to be able to preach your word. I thank you for the opportunity and freedom you've still given us to gather in person to be able to hear uh, the word taught and preached. And Lord, we desperately need for you to speak to our hearts today. And uh, Lord, I don't have anything good um, to be able to communicate of myself. Uh, I don't have the gifting to, uh, to entertain. And we don't need entertainment today. We need your word. And we need it straight. And we need it exactly how you want it to be communicated. And Lord, you've got to do that. And uh, you've got to do that in every person's heart. And you've got to do it through me. And I ask, Lord, that your presence would fill this place that you just set every one of us aside. This time isn't about us. It's about you and your word and about you communicating to us what we need to hear. And I pray that our minds would be attentive and our hearts would be open to receive the message of your word today. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Four ways you will experience revival on the road back to Bethel. Number one, you can note this down in your notes if you've got them this morning. On the road back to Bethel, first thing you'll experience is the route to revival. The route to revival. You'll find that the road back to Bethel is the route to experiencing a true revival in your life. And as we think about this route, I want you to see, first of all, that this route, this route to revival, it begins with a calling. That's the first thing I want you to notice. It begins with the calling. Verse number one, the Bible tells us as the chapter begins that in the midst of the mess that Jacob found himself in, that Jacob heard God calling to him out of all of it. In verse number one, the Bible says, And God said unto Jacob, Arise. In the Hebrew, that literally means get up. You've been thrown down. Get back up. Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And so finally here, after all the years that Jacob had spent wandering away from God, living in places where God didn't want him to be, Jacob once again heard God speaking to him again. And how, how, how wonderful of a thing it must have been for Jacob in that desolate place that he found himself to be able to hear the voice of God again. And by the way, listen to me. Hey, this was the grace of God on display right here. Because Jacob, Jacob did not deserve for God to speak to him again. God had already spoke to Jacob four other times. And he hadn't listened very well up to this point. But it comes a fifth time. You know, the number five in the Bible, what it is a number that represents... Grace. It's a number of grace. And God in his grace, he comes to Jacob again. and says, Jacob, come back. Come back. I still have a purpose for you. I still have a plan for you. And we see God's grace on display. And by the way, that God would continue to speak to the likes of you and I, sinners as we be, is also a demonstration of his grace. And we see his grace on display here to you and I here. And God started calling to Jacob. And he told Jacob three things essentially. He said, get up and go up to Bethel and stay there. Just wait there. Don't move again. Don't, don't, don't try to take any more detours along the way. All the detours you've taken have gotten you into the mess that you're in. Just go to Bethel. Go where I told you to go and stay there. Very simple instructions that God gave to Jacob at this point. God told Jacob to go back to the last place that God had met with him and just wait for God to speak to him again. 
And boy, I wonder today if God would be calling you and your heart today to move from where you find yourself at in your life today to go back to where God is. Listen, all of us at certain seasons of our life can go back to a time in our mind when we were closer to God than what we are today. God is never the one who moves away from us. We are always the ones that move away from him. And the first thing God says here is, I'm calling you to come back to me. I'm reaching out to you. I'm finding you where you're at and asking you to come on home. God called Jacob back to Bethel. And boy, God may be doing that in your spirit today as well. If you'd hear the voice of his spirit drawing you. And so on this route to revival, we see the first thing he experienced was a calling. But the second thing I noticed here along this route to revival is that there was a cleansing that took place. After the calling, there was a cleansing. And the Bible tells us as the scripture goes on that after Jacob heard the call of God to go back to to Bethel, he began immediately to set forth to do so. And uh, the thing is, when he had left Bethel years before, he was alone. Um, It was no big deal when he was in Bethel last time. But now he was going back to Bethel and he wasn't alone anymore. He had a pretty big family. And he wasn't going to go back to Bethel alone either. God wanted him to bring his family with him back to Bethel as well. But the problem with that was Jacob knew, as you and I know from reading our Bibles, Jacob and his family were a mess. Jacob knew if I'm going back to Bethel, it's time to clean house. It's time to get ourselves ready to go back to Bethel. And we see this cleansing that began to take place in Jacob and in his family. Starting in verse 2, the Bible tells us that Jacob said unto his household and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you and be clean and change your garments and let us arise and go up to Bethel and I'll make there an altar unto God who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way which I went. I love what Jacob did here. Jacob immediately began to act in faith. And to lead his family spiritually, something he had not done for many years. But when God spoke to his heart, when God called him to experience this revival in his life, he immediately decided to act in faith and he wasn't going to do it alone. He was going to lead his family to do so with him. And he told his family essentially to do three things here. Uh, He told them first of all that it was time to put away or to part with all the things in their life that had taken the place of Jehovah God. Put away the gods that are among you. It's time for us to go worship the one true God. He told them to put those things away. And boy, as we begin a new year, that's a great time for you if you've allowed some things in your life, in your family, in your home to take the place of God to spiritually lead your family, men, and get some of those things out and get the focus back on the Lord. Amen. And so he told them to part with some things. And then he told his family that they needed to be clean. He told them, wash yourself. Hey, purify yourself from, from anything that has made you impure. And that could, that could have a physical application and also a spiritual application. Um, all of us can have things that build up in our life, uh, sinful things that we need to be cleansed from. We need to get out of our life. He told them to be clean. And then he told them, change your clothes. Your clothes are raggedy. Uh, maybe, maybe, some, maybe some of them weren't wearing the right kind of clothes. I don't know, but he told them, you need to change your clothes. And you know, in the Eastern customs um, in, that, in that part of the world, um, they, they, were, they were nomads. I mean, they didn't have all the access to clothing and showers that you and I have. And so when they would change their clothes, it was for a very significant event. It signified a new beginning. All right, and uh, they probably had the days marked on the calendar when they would put on their uh, 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 their change of clothes, their special clothes, and that's what was happening here for Jacob and his family. And the changing of clothes in the scripture here it always signifies a new beginning. And Jacob says, "We're we're about to take a new direction. 
We're about to make some changes in the house of Jacob. And then at the end of all that, he told them why he was asking them to do all this. And the reason was this, because they were going back to Bethel. They were going back to the place where God had first made himself known to Jacob. Back to the place where God had made himself known to Jacob and back to this place where uh, they were going to worship the God that had been with Jacob and his family every day since. We see this great change happening for them. And boy, we, we all know from studying the book of Genesis how uh, resistant uh, Jacob's wives were to his leadership and uh, uh, we've, we've studied those accounts and so immediately uh, my thought in my mind is well what, 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 what's Leah and Rachel going to do how are they going to respond to Jacob this good for nothing man who hasn't led them spiritually in years how are they going to respond to his newfound spiritual hope well, the Bible tells us in verse 4 that they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and their earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. Hey, Jacob's wives, his children, and his whole household, the Bible says, followed his spiritual leadership here. They submitted to his spiritual leadership here. They gave all the things in their life that had taken the place of God, and they buried them, the Bible says there, and where, he, where they buried them is significant. They buried them in Shechem. Shechem, that was the place where everything went wrong. That was the place where they had experienced one of the greatest spiritual defeats of their lifetime. And yet in that same place, God gave them one of the greatest spiritual victories of their life. And friend, God can make a victory out of the place of defeat you find yourself in if you'll turn things over to him today. It was a cleansing that took place and God gave us great, great spiritual victory that day. And so we find that Jacob and his whole household experienced this great cleansing. And listen to me, if you'd be willing to walk down the right route of revival, if you'd be willing to go back to your Bethel and your life, I'll guarantee you that along the way, you're going to experience a cleansing in your life just like Jacob did and his family here. The fact is, there are a multitude of things that all of us allow into our lives that from time to time need to go. Time to time, God speaks to our hearts about them and we need to be cleansed of those things and get our attention and our focus back on the Lord. And for true revival to happen, you have to be willing to part with those things. You want to hold on to those things, you can't, turn, you can't continue to follow the Lord and continue to cling on to the things that you've been clinging on to. You can't turn to follow the Lord if you're going to continue to go the direction, you're continue, the direction you've been going. You're going to have to part with some things if you're going to make the decision to go back to Bethel. And that's what happened for Jacob here. And would to God it would happen in your, your life and my life today as we uh, set forth to make a decision like this. I believe the prayer of every Christian when it comes to these types of things ought to be like the psalmist David in Psalm 139. He prayed, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. If there's anybody who knows what's in your head and in your heart, it's God. Would you be willing to ask God, will you show me anything up here or down here that's not pleasing you that needs to go out of my life, and then be willing to do it? That's the type of cleansing I believe the Lord wants you and I to experience on our way back to Bethel. And by the way, I'll say this as well. It isn't, it isn't enough for only you to make this choice. Jacob didn't go back to Bethel alone. He had to go with his family. That means he had to lead his family to go with him. He said, well, I've fallen out of church, and so I'm going to start going back, but the wife's going to stay home. The husband's going to stay home. The kids are going to stay home. I want them to make their own choice. That's the dumbest thing I ever heard, by the way. 
Letting your kids make their own choice about going to church. I was a drug baby, okay? I was drugged to church every time the church was open. And it didn't hurt me a bit. Amen. <laughs> but Jacob had to lead his family back home. And listen, if you want this to revival, revival to be sincere, it's going to have to be universal. I like what Pastor Paul Chisgar said during one of our couples retreats. He said, true revival hasn't taken place until it makes it home. Oh, I experienced a great moving of God in my heart at church. You go home, nothing changes. True, revival didn't happen. True revival hasn't play, taken place until it makes it home. And, you know, Joshua, I think Joshua in Joshua chapter 24, you know what Joshua didn't say? He didn't just say, as for me, I'll serve the Lord. What did he say? He said, as for me and my what? House. I, we will serve the Lord. And that, that ought to be the determination for every one of us as we uh, go down this path, this route of revival. And so on this route of revival, we see there was a calling from God to come home. There was a cleansing that began to take place. But a third thing I see is that there was a caretaking. There was a caretaking. Verse number five, the Bible tells us that uh, about this. In verse five, it says, and they journeyed. Jacob started heading with his family towards Bethel. And the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them. And they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. Well, why would they want to? Well, remember what happened in chapter 34. His sons had just massacred an entire Canaanite city. And Jacob was scared to death at the end of chapter 34 that the Canaanites of that region were going to retaliate against him and kill him and his family. But boy, when God called to Jacob, Jacob packed up and he started to, he didn't even hesitate. He started to go towards Bethel in spite of those fears. From a human standpoint, it didn't make sense to go farther into Canaan when you were afraid that the Canaanite people were going to try to murder you and your family. It didn't make sense. But when God called Jacob, he just trusted that God was going to take care of him. And he went forward into the land of Canaan. And the Bible tells us that God put a supernatural terror, a supernatural dread, uh, not of Jacob, mind you, but of Jacob's God on all the cities and all, and, and all the region of Canaan. And they didn't attack him. And you mark it down, and you don't forget this. I love this statement. God's will will never lead you where his grace cannot keep you. When God leads you in a direction. You can be sure he's going to protect you and provide for you as you go the way that he is calling you to go. And so many people, the reason why they won't respond when God begins to call them to come home is because they're wondering, well, what's my wife going to think about this? Well, what's my family going to think about this? Well, that means I'm going to have to change my career pursuit. That means I'm going to, and all of these things come into, the, come into play. How am I going to provide for myself? Am I going to be rejected by the people that I love and care for? And all these things begin to circulate in our head. But the fact is, if you'd be willing to put your faith in God and go the direction that he wants you to go, you will never have to doubt that he will take care of you as you do so. This route to revival, there was a calling followed by a cleansing and then there was a caretaking. But number four, I want you to see that there was a comprehension that took place. See, when the Bible says Jacob finally made it back to Bethel, he came to a great comprehension there. He came to a great realization there. In verse six, the Bible says, so Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him. And he built there an altar and called the, uh, called the place El Bethel. And the reason was this. Read this next phrase with me. Because there God appeared unto him. He called the place El Bethel because there God appeared unto him. Hey, it's at this point that Bethel became El Bethel. All right, Bethel means the house of God. El Bethel means the God of the house. 
You know, what was significant was not the place, but it was the person. And Jacob found this out here. He thought, well, if I could just get back to Bethel. He thought that that place, Bethel, there was something special about it. There was nothing special about that place apart from the fact that God himself had made himself known to Jacob there. When Jacob got back to Bethel, he realized, you know what? There's really nothing special about this place. What's special about this place is the person that I met here. And would to God, you and I in our life would come to that understanding as well. Too many of us, we spend so many years living with an unbiblical sentiment attached to some time or person in our past uh, some place perhaps where we were growing more spiritually than we are right now. And we think, well, churches just aren't like what they used to be. Well, uh, uh, I just don't think I'll ever find a place like that place uh, uh, where I was growing back at that point. And we attach this unbiblical sentiment to some type of place like that in our own lives. The fact of the matter is, God is the same God today that he was back then. And God, what's significant is not the place, it's the Lord himself. What you need is not to get back to, well, if I could just get back to that church, that place where I was growing, if I could just have that again, then I'd grow again and I'd, and I'd have my life straightened out again. No! The place has nothing to do with your growth. The, the, the place has nothing to do with any of that. It's God that you need today. When Jacob got, finally got back to Bethel, that's what he realized. And went to God, we'd come to that realization today. What you need is the Lord. See, the land without the Lord is just a bunch of dirt. The Lord's what makes it significant. And God's the one you need today as well. So we see this route to revival that God took Jacob on. On this route to revival, God called Jacob. He cleansed his life. He cared for him on his way back. And he caused him to comprehend that what he needed was God. And he'll do the same for you today. So I ask you this morning, do you need to start your journey down this route to revival? You just start by responding to God's call. Calling you back home. He'll lead you every other step of the way. The first thing you'll experience on your way back to Bethel is the route to revival. The second thing I want you to note down this morning that you'll experience on your way back to Bethel are the reassurances of revival. Write down number two, the reassurances of revival. You see, once God finally got Jacob back to Bethel, once he finally got him back on the path that he wanted him to be on, there in that place, God spoke some words of reassurance to encourage him on the way. The Bible tells us in verse number 9 that God appeared, or he literally, that literally means he revealed himself unto Jacob again when he came out of Padanaram, and the Bible says he blessed him. What I love about this is, hey, listen, when Jacob, when he made the decision to seek the Lord here, when he made the decision to start on the journey back to Bethel, God didn't make himself hard to find. He didn't make himself hard to find. He's not like you and I. He didn't give Jacob the silent treatment. <laughs> God didn't make himself hard to find. God intentionally, the Bible says, appeared or revealed himself to Jacob to reassure him and to bless him. Listen, James 4.8 tells us, draw nigh to God and he will what? Draw nigh to you. I like what Acts chapter 27 and verse number 17 says. It says that God is not far from every one of us. And here's the amazing thing. No matter how far you have wandered away from God and how distant you may feel that you are from God today, there is never a place in your life when you are, when you are too distant for God to be able to meet you where you're at. The fact is God is never too far from wherever you are. 
There's no distance too far away from God where he won't be willing to come and pick you up if you'd be willing to turn back to him. I love that truth. And Jacob, in the situation he found himself in, he needed that reassurance from the Lord at this point in time. And I love these reassurances that he gave to Jacob. Starting in verse number 10, I want you to notice the first reassurance. God gives the reassurance first of your position. He gives the reassurance of your position. Verse number 10, the Bible says, And God said unto Jacob, Thy name is Jacob. Thy name shall not be called any more Jacob, but Israel shall be thy name. And he called his name Israel. Here God reminded Jacob of something very important. He reminded him that he was no longer Jacob, but he was Israel. Listen, there was a change of identity that God wanted to make sure Jacob understood had taken place. We go back to Genesis 32. We remember where Jacob had a wrestling match with the Son of God himself. And during that wrestling match, the Bible tells us that God forced Jacob into submission. And at that point in time, Jacob got renamed Israel. Jacob means the heel holder. That's what Jacob had done his whole life. He'd always tried to to suck the life out of every situation he could find, to, to milk it for everything he could get. But he was no longer Jacob. He was now Israel. Israel means a God-mastered man. Jacob was a man who had been mastered by God. He was a man that God had, had finally brought to a place of surrender and submission in his life. And the record of Jacob's life from this point on would show how God indeed had prevailed in his life. Because Jacob, from this point on, continued to live this life of faith faithfully. I love that. Because what had happened in Jacob's life is he had genuinely experienced a change in his life. And you, as a believer, understand this. There are two significant events that ought to happen in every person's life. That's the day of salvation and the day of surrender. Listen, the first is when you choose to place your faith in God. The second is when you choose to live by faith in God. The first is when you choose to trust God with your eternity. The second is when you choose to trust God with your everyday life. There are a lot of people who are saved but not surrendered. They're saved, they know they're going to heaven, but they're not willing to live for the kingdom of God today by the power of the Spirit of God. There needs to be a day of salvation and a day of surrender in every one of your life. And the first time Jacob went to Bethel, he got saved. But the second time he came back to Bethel, he surrendered to God. He surrendered to what God wanted him to do, to the purpose that God had for his life. And I say to you this morning, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, just like Jacob, God has given you a new name as well. You've had a change of identity. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's a what? New creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. That's what happened when you got saved. And God has changed your identity. You are not who you once were. You are now in Christ Jesus, and your life is hidden God in Christ Jesus. Uh, Colossians chapter 3 tells us we've been changed today. And that's important for you to understand because where you find yourself at right now, you may not feel like a changed man. You, may not, you, might, you might feel guilt. You might feel a lot of things uh, contrary to what God says about you here today. But God wants to remind you, you're not Jacob anymore. You're Israel. I've changed you. I've got a purpose for you and I want to lead you forward in that purpose if you just come back to me. And boy, we need that in our life today as well. We can put ourselves down. We can uh, keep ourselves in this place uh, separated from God's purpose for our life very easily if we're not careful. 
Oh, but the key to Christian growth is understanding who Jesus Christ has made you to be and submitting to allowing him in your day-to-day life to make you more and more into that image. Listen, I like what John Newton had to say about this. I'm not what I ought to be. I am not what I should be today. I'm not what I want to be in another lifetime. But thank God, I am not what I once was. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. (laughs) We're all growing in this matter, but the, the, the key is understanding that God has changed you and he's continuing to do a work of change in your life as you move forward from this day on. And so we see that God gave the reassurance of your position. You had a change of position. You're not who you once were, but notice this as well. God gives the reassurance of his power. He gives the reassurance of his power. Verse 11, if you're there with me, say amen. The Bible says in verse 11 that God said unto Jacob, I am who? God Almighty. I am God Almighty. God first reassured Jacob in verse number 10 of who Jacob was. But now God reassured Jacob of who he was. I like this. See, God said, I am God Almighty. That's El Shaddai. That's the all-sufficient God, the all-powerful God. Jacob, you're not sufficient to be able to do my purpose for you, but I'm sufficient to take someone like you and make something out of your life for your good and my glory. That's what he's telling to, telling to Jacob. The last time God revealed himself as El Shaddai was to Abraham. And even when Abraham said, I'm a, I'm a 99-year-old man, God. I can't have any children. God said, yeah, you can. I'm El Shaddai. I can do it. And that same all-powerful God that appeared to Abraham was the same one appearing now to Jacob. And he's the only one that could do something to make, to make something out of the mess that Jacob had made out of his life. You Listen to me this morning. It doesn't matter doesn't matter how impossible it may seem for anything good to come out of your life right now in this coming year. The almighty God is still well able to work all things together in your life for your good and his glory. You are not sufficient to be able to make anything good of your life. But your sufficiency is of God, Colossians tells us. He is all sufficient. He can take something and make something out of your life today. It doesn't matter who you are so long as you know who he is. He's the all-powerful God. And so God gave Jacob the reassurance. You may not feel like you can do anything out of your life, but I'm El Shaddai. I'm the all-powerful God. And he gave him the reassurance of his power. But I see a third reassurance he gave him. He gave him the reassurance of his promises of his promises. Notice verse number 11, the latter part of the verse. It says, be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall be of thee and kings shall come out of thy loins and the land which I gave Abraham and Isaac to thee will I give it and to thy seed after thee will I give the land. Now notice this, on the basis of his almighty power, that he's El Shaddai, on the basis of his almighty power, God then reminds Jacob of the promises he had made to him. And Jacob said, be fruitful and multiply. Go ahead and live your life. Go ahead and do what I told you to do. I'm sure that Jacob said, well, God, I'm not worthy. God, it's too late for me. Look at the mess I've made of things. I'm sure he thought all of these things, but God said, no, I'm El Shaddai, and I made a promise to you that I was going to give you a land, and I was going to make something great of your seed and make you a great nation, and I was going to make you a blessing to all the people of the world. And that promise was not based on you. That was based on my word. You may not have kept your word to me, but I'm going to keep my word to you. And friend, God has made promises to you and I as the people of God here today as well. 
You may feel, you may feel unworthy. You may feel like, well, God's not going to do those things for me, but you can mark it down. God has never failed to keep his word. I like what the Bible says in Numbers 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, and shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, and shall he not make it good? And friend, God keeps his word. You may have failed to keep the promises you made to God in the past, but God will never fail to keep the promises that he's made to you. And he that has begun a good work in you shall continue it until the day of Christ Jesus. Oh, we need to understand that. I like uh, this last month I got a letter from Daisy Mae Black, one of the dear widows in our church. Miss Daisy Mae, this is, what she, one of, this is an excerpt from that letter. She wrote, Jesus is the best friend you could ever have, even at 91 years old as I am. And she said, I took Jesus as my Savior at nine years old, and he has never failed me. I love Jesus. 91 years old, a testimony to the faithfulness of God. He has never failed me, and he'll never fail you. You make this journey back to Bethel, you, you can go with every reassurance in the world that God will be with you every step of the way. Oh, how we need to understand that. Number one, the first thing we'll experience on the road back to Bethel is this. We'll experience the route to revival. Number two, we'll experience the reassurances of revival. But third and finally this, this morning, the third thing you'll experience as you go on the road back to Bethel are the remembrances of revival. The remembrance of revival. You notice what the Bible tells us here in verse number 13. If you're there with me, say amen. The Bible says, And God went up from Jacob in the place where he had talked with him. Now, just think about that for a minute. It's easy to gloss that over. What an amazing experience Jacob just had. God came down and talked to him. What an experience. God went up from that place. That means he came down from that place, and, and he had spent some time conversing with Jacob. I said earlier, this is now the fifth time recorded in Scripture that Jacob had had such an encounter with God. And boy, every time Jacob experienced God, it transformed his life in some way. And I ask you this morning, have you, ever, have, you experienced, have you ever experienced a moment in your life when God spoke to you in such a way? When his presence was so real and his voice, though not audible, but his voice was so clear as he communicated to your heart that it was undeniable? Have you ever had such a moment in your life? Oh, those are some of the sweetest moments of life. And boy, throughout the years, I've had several experiences like that. I'll not take time to talk about them here this morning. But boy, I've been journaling since the time I was 15 years old. And I read through those journals, and I remember all the moments where God spoke to me, where he helped me, where he, where he revealed himself to me, and he spoke to me through his word or through a message or through a walk in the woods somewhere. There's so many times when God has spoken to my heart, and those are special times. Those are times you don't want to forget. And Jacob didn't want to forget what he had experienced with God this day either. And so the Bible goes on to tell us that uh, he, he decided to memorialize this moment. And in verse 14, the Bible says that Jacob set up a pillar in the place where God had talked with him, even a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering thereon, and he poured oil thereon, and Jacob called the name of the place where God spake with him, Bethel. Now don't miss this. God really helped me with this here. The Bible tells us that Jacob set up this memorial. And, and, and what he did first, what we just read, is that Jacob set up a stone Monument, Perhaps right next to the altar he had just built to worship the Lord. He put up this stone monument to be a reminder of what God had done in his life there. And that stone 
reminds you and I today of the stone that the builders rejected, of the rock of ages. It's a picture of Jesus Christ. He went on after he set up the stone. The Bible says next that he poured a drink offering over this monument. This is the first mention in all the scripture of a drink offering. We hear about him a lot later in, in, the, in, the, in the Old Testament law after it was written. But this is the first time a drink offering had been given. It was given by Jacob. And drink offerings, they involved wine, grape juice, being poured out over something to the Lord. And uh, uh, there's a lot more I could say about that, but that's essentially what it was. And boy, as New Testament believers today, this drink offering, this wine being poured out over that stone monument, it reminds us of the blood of Jesus Christ. That was shed for our sins. That wasn't it, though. Next, the Bible says that Jacob, he poured some oil over the monument next. Now, pouring oil over something or or someone throughout the scriptures is always a a way of anointing them, of uh, dedicating them uh, to, to, to God's purposes. And even so, as New Testament believers, this pouring of oil by Jacob at this point reminds us of the pouring of the Spirit of God upon our lives as believers once we trust in Jesus Christ by by faith. The pouring out of our lives then because of the Spirit of God for God's purposes and for God's glory, that's what this oil reminds us of here in the Scripture. And so we see that Jacob, when he went to take his claim in the land of Canaan, he did so not based on his own merit or on his own pedigree, but on the finished work of Jesus Christ. By picture here, we see that illustrated. And listen, uh, Jacob knew that the reason that he was going to be able to go forward and live for God and fulfill God's purposes was not because of him, because he was a good-for-nothing, low-down sinner, but it was all because of the grace of God that had given them the, the ability to be able to go forward from the mess that he had made of his life and still do something for God. And I say to you this morning, Christian, in the same way that God wants Jacob, wanted Jacob to go back to Bethel, don't miss this, don't miss this. In the same way that God wanted Jacob to go back to Bethel, today he wants you and I to go back to the cross. Bethel is, Bethel is not a location, not the location you got saved. Bethel is the location where your salvation was made possible. It's the cross. In the same way that God led Jacob to go back to Bethel, I believe he wants you and I to go back to the cross today and there to find our source of revival. You see, there at the cross, you and I are reminded of Jesus, the rock upon whom our faith is built. And I say to you this morning that no matter how much you may have wavered from Christ Christ, the rock, the foundation of your faith still remains unmoved and he never shall be moved. And that's a good reminder for us because we're prone to wonder, but he's always the same. We go back to the cross, we're reminded of that. There at the cross, we're also reminded of Jesus' blood that was shed to save us from all of our sin. No matter how much Depth of sin you may, be a, you may have been waiting in this past year. No matter how distant it may make you feel from God right now, the fact is Jesus' blood still cleanses us from all our sin. There's no sin too great that God cannot forgive. No distance too far where he cannot reach you because of that. And as Miss Berta sang a little while ago, the blood of Christ has not lost its power. There at the cross reminded of that blood 
It gives us access to come before God boldly. That blood that saves us from our sin. It's also there at the cross that we're reminded of God's spirit that was sent down to indwell us and enable us to live the Christian life. That, the fact that we could be indwelled by the Holy Spirit of God was made possible because of the cross of Jesus Christ. That has transformed our life. And today, when we go back to the cross, we remember that our ability to live the Christian life is not of ourselves. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, but it's not I that live, it's Christ that lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It's not I, but it's Christ. That's how I can live uh, uh, moving forward from this day on. That's how I can live the Christian life. That's how I can fulfill God's purposes for me. It's not me, it's God's grace. It's not me, but it's Christ that lives in me. When you go back to the cross, you're reminded of that truth right there. You know how we need to go back to the cross to find our source of revival. The cross, we're reminded of how we can live the Christian life, of how we were saved, and how we can still move on. And I wonder today if you need to take a trip back to the cross. Listen, this is one of the first pictures in the scripture, I believe, of what we celebrate when we observe the Lord's table. Just like Jacob set up this monument signifying the, the change that God had brought into his life, Jesus has instituted an ordinance for you and I. And this is our monument. Jesus told us that he wants us to observe this ordinance to remind ourselves of the change that he has brought about in our life. Let me read to you what Jesus said about this in 1 Corinthians 11. The Bible says that when Jesus had given thanks, he broke the bread and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death until he come. I believe that God wants us to conclude our time this morning by taking a trip back to the cross. Remembering Jesus' body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed. But before we do that, I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes with me. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. And right now in the stillness of this moment, let me ask you this question. Do you need to go back to the cross today? Have you wandered away from God? Do you need this revival that we're speaking about to take place in your heart today? Have you felt God calling you back to Him? Have you felt a desire within your heart to cleanse your life of the things that have been taking you away from him. Have you comprehended that God's the one you need? It's not anything else, it's God. Then Christian today, it would be a wonderful thing for us to go back to the cross and get the reassurances we can find there of the new identity God has given to us. You're not who you once were. Of God's power and his promises that make it possible for you to live the Christian life today. That's what you discover at the cross. And I want to give you an opportunity to prepare your heart. Maybe to make a pledge to the Lord to get rid of some things in your life that don't need to be there. And to prepare your heart to worship the Lord as we go to his table. As we take this time to go back and remember his body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us.